Hi, my name's Graham Abbott, and this is the first in a new series of podcasts presented by the Melbourne Recital Centre. We're calling these Classical Uncovered, and they're designed to demystify a few corners of the classical music world. All areas of human endeavour have their special terms which are normal and natural to those in the know, but to those not initiated into that language, they can appear strange or even alienating. Music is no different. Part of this is due to the fact that so much musical terminology originated in Italy, so Italian terms are common. But in this podcast, I want to address the labels we use to describe certain periods of history. What do we mean when we talk about Baroque or Romantic music, for example? Fasten your seatbelts as over the next few minutes, we surf more than a thousand years of European music. Broadly speaking, classical music is music of the past millennium or more, which is grounded in the Western European tradition. It's sometimes referred to as art music, to distinguish it from folk music or other so-called popular forms of music making. But this ignores the fact that a lot of what we call classical music from, say, the Middle Ages, was in fact the popular music or folk music of its time. It's just a crude art status in our eyes because we might usually hear it in classical music concerts or in recordings by classically trained artists today. So, with the caveat that what follows is by definition open to interpretation and maybe a bit fuzzy around the edges, here's a beginner's guide to the eras of classical music. We know that ancient civilizations, such as the Egyptians, Greek and Romans, all had musical cultures. Their visual art alone is evidence of that in its depictions of musical instruments, singing and dancing. And ancient texts, such as the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, make frequent mention of music, both vocal and instrumental. These cultures, and many others, had their own forms of musical notation, but what fragments remain are difficult to decipher and open to a wide range of interpretation. Classical music, as it's generally understood today, is usually regarded as starting with the invention of European musical notation, around the year 1000, and the person usually cited as the inventor of our musical notation is the Italian monk Guido d'Arezzo. His system of using the five fingers and the four spaces between them as a simple means of teaching music to his choir boys evolved into the five-line, four-space musical staff we use today. By 1000, the Roman Church had already developed and collected its particular form of religious chant and managed to suppress other chant traditions, such as Mozarabic chant and Ambrosian chant. Musical notation enabled Roman chant to be copied and disseminated. This sort of chant is nowadays usually called Gregorian chant, because it was claimed that Pope Gregory I, who lived in the 6th century, standardised Roman chant across the church. In reality, it wasn't really until the 9th century that any real form of standardisation occurred, shortly before Guido's lifetime. It was once believed that European music more or less started with Gregorian chant, Church musicians gradually added more voice parts to the single line of chant, inventing multi-voiced sacred music, an innovation which was taken up in the secular realm, leading to the development of secular vocal music like madrigals and love songs, and eventually instrumental music, or so the narrative went. It's now known that the development of European music was far more complex than this. 
It seems unthinkable that there was no secular music at all in Europe, either vocal or instrumental, before the development of Gregorian chant. It's just that the people who could read and write were usually in the church, and it was their music which benefited first from the invention of musical notation. Gregorian chant is pretty much the earliest music you'd be likely to hear in a classical music context today, and while historians might make distinctions between the early, middle and late medieval periods, in classical music we generally call all music before about 1400 medieval music. The most important names in medieval music include Léonin and Perrotin, who were groundbreaking composers in the Notre-Dame school of Paris in the years around 1200. In the 14th century, we encounter two famous and important composers. Guillaume de Machaut is most famous for his Mass, the Mass of Notre-Dame, written around 1360, while the Italian Francesco Landini was an early master of vibrant secular music. His Ecco la Primavera, Behold the Spring, was top of the European pops around 1375. The so-called rebirth of European thought, which began in Italy at the start of the 15th century, became known as the Renaissance. The implication that the medieval period was a dark ages for the arts is really untrue, and especially so for music. Yet the Renaissance, which in music spans roughly 200 years from 1400 to 1600, did see an explosion of musical creativity across Europe. English music flourished in the 15th century and was widely copied and performed on the continent. This period saw the emergence of a brilliant school of composition in the Low Countries, present-day Netherlands, Belgium and northern France, with Guillaume Dufay as one of the first to lead the way. Johannes Ockeghem and Josquin Desprez followed. In 16th century Italy, Giovanni Pierluigi da Palestrina raised sacred vocal music to a form still regarded today as its purest, while his Spanish contemporary, Tomas Luis de Victoria, matched him for purity and perhaps excelled him in raw power. The third name in the trinity of master composers of the High Renaissance was Orlando di Lasso, sometimes referred to as Lassus. In 16th century England, the Tudors were served by Thomas Tallis and William Byrd, just the two best-known names of their time. The Renaissance saw European music flourish, both sacred and secular. In the sacred realm, the mass became the preeminent form of artistic expression, closely followed by settings of other sacred texts, which are generally called motets. In secular music, various localised forms of part songs coalesced into the madrigal, a form most popular in Italy, but which was created in one form or another across Western Europe. Instrumental music certainly existed, in particular keyboard music, but at this stage it was very much overshadowed by music for voices. In Florence, in the final years of the 16th century, the study of ancient Greek culture led to a major development in music. It was assumed that Greek drama involved singing. Indeed, it was thought by some to have been entirely sung. A number of composers started to write their own all-sung dramas, usually based on ancient Greek myths, and thus a new form of musical expression was born. Opera. It's the invention of opera in the years around 1600 which marks the end of the Renaissance in music and the start of the Baroque period. 
The other enormous change which signals this transition was a fundamental shift in the way music was written. Renaissance music, and especially vocal music, was a multi-voiced, complex art form with all the parts of equal importance. In the Baroque, in an attempt to make dramatic texts clearer when they were sung, musical texture devolved into two basic lines, a melodic line on the top and an instrumental bass line underneath to accompany. And this bass line was performed in a particular way. Rather than an instrumentalist simply playing the written notes, it rapidly became essential for this bass line to be filled out by an instrument which could play chords a harpsichord, lute, guitar, organ, or anything else that was at hand. This improvised filling out was called continuo. Opera and continuo are the twin revolutions which mark the beginning of the musical Baroque. There is much discussion as to the origin of the word Baroque and its early application to this period of artistic history. Like most such terms, it's used across the fine arts and not just applied to music. It appears this French word is derived from the Portuguese barocco, meaning a bulbous, misshapen pearl. By extension, then, the word meant exaggerated, bulging, bursting with detail, even bizarre. The prevalence of oval shapes in Baroque architecture is a physical reflection of this. Its earliest application to music was made in relation to an opera by the French composer Jean-Philippe Rameau in the 1730s, and it was not a term of endearment. Later ages applied the term to cover the century and a half from 1600 to 1750, a period which, in retrospect, it seemed the decorum and classical balance, in the Greek and Roman sense, of the Renaissance, had given way to the untrammeled expression of emotion and bizarre effects in the period following 1600. The first great master of the Baroque was also the first great master of opera, Claudio Monteverdi. Italy was in many ways the epicentre of the Baroque, with other famous names including Francesco Cavalli, Arcangelo Corelli and Antonio Vivaldi. The other great focus of the Baroque was in German-speaking lands, culminating in the birth in 1685 of the two most famous German-born Baroque composers, Johann Sebastian Bach and George Friedrich Handel. The French had their own peculiar take on the Baroque, and on opera in particular, with names like Jean-Baptiste Lully and Marc-Antoine Charpentier preceding that of Rameau. Opera became universally popular across Europe in the Baroque. Church music, secular vocal music, and perhaps above all, new forms of instrumental music all flourished as well. Instrumental forms included small-scale pieces such as sonatas and works for the newly developed organism called the orchestra, in particular dance suites and concertos. Solo keyboard music came to the fore with the creation of huge bodies of work for the harpsichord and for the organ. In virtually all this music, the continuo principle was applied. Perhaps ironically, in the later Baroque, music became as complex in terms of its musical lines as it had in the late Renaissance, leading again to yet another perceived need for the art of music to be made simpler and more direct. As always, this transition was gradual, but in the years around 1750, European music started to eschew the complexities of the late Baroque, and along with it, much of the continuo principle. Instrumental music became more simply constructed, and new forms started to develop. 
opera overtures developed into the symphony, and Baroque sonatas evolved into string quartets, piano trios and other forms of chamber music. Subsequent ages have labelled the years around 1750 to 1820 as the classical period, and yes, this can be confusing when just a part of the history of classical music is itself referred to as the classical period. The use of classical reflects this new era's obsession with balance and symmetry, in the same way as, say, Greek architecture is balanced and symmetrical. The piano was the instrument of this period. It grew out of attempts early in the 18th century to create a harpsichord on which the player could control the volume of the instrument simply by way of pressure on the keys, something the harpsichord could not do. Eventually, a keyboard instrument with hammers to strike the strings, rather than the harpsichord's quills which plucked them, was developed, a grovicembalo col piano e forte, a keyboard instrument with soft and loud. By the 1770s or so, this instrument, usually just called a pianoforte, or piano for short, had almost entirely replaced the harpsichord. By 1820, the harpsichord was pretty much a distant memory. The development of the piano and of a whole new repertoire for the instrument is a hallmark of the classical period. Haydn, Mozart and Beethoven are the names at the pinnacle of composition at this time. All of them, and their contemporaries of course, created huge amounts of music for the piano, as well as the foundations of the repertoire for ensembles such as the piano trio and the string quartet. In orchestral music, the solo concerto came to replace the multi-soloist concertos of the Baroque, and the symphony developed from a small-scale work for private performance into a composer's major public statement. Opera also developed into a larger, more dramatically powerful art form, something largely due to the operatic masterpieces of Mozart, written in the ten years preceding his death in 1791. By the 1820s, the beloved principles of classical balance and symmetry had started to be seriously questioned. Reflecting the romantic movement in literature of the late 18th century, music belatedly caught up with its own romantic period, which is usually regarded as covering roughly 1820 to 1900. In this period, the piano developed into the large, powerful instrument we know today, but the important marker of musical romanticism is personal expression. Established classical forms such as the sonata, concerto and symphony didn't disappear, but they did largely give way to smaller, freer forms. Piano music was more likely to consist of impromptus, ballades, intermezzos and fantasies, rather than sonatas and variations. Orchestral music saw the symphony largely sidelined, and freer forms come into play, such as the symphonic poem. Masters of instrumental composition include Schubert, Berlioz, Mendelssohn, Schumann, Liszt, Chopin, Brahms, Tchaikovsky, and so many more names regularly heard today. And the orchestra grew. At the start of the 19th century, a standard orchestra consisted of eight winds, four brass, timpani, and strings. The clarinet at that stage was a very recent addition to the woodwind lineup. Within a short time, four horns were standard instead of two, and three trombones, once usually reserved for church and the theatre, also became standard. The tuba, piccolo, cor anglais, bass clarinet and contrabassoon soon joined the regular ranks, while the percussion section grew and the string body expanded to better balance the other sections. 
Opera maintained its place as the preeminent vocal form in the 19th century, growing in social importance as much as in sheer size, length and complexity. The two giant names of Romantic opera are Giuseppe Verdi and Richard Wagner, both born in 1813 and each marking out a totally different style for themselves in operatic composition over nearly the whole century. Around 1900, though, things began to change. Music, along with pretty well everything else in Europe, began to fragment. Technology, individual freedoms and an appreciation of human psychology led to the questioning of everything formerly held to be sacred. In music, this was most clearly expressed in the breakdown of traditional harmony. An acceptance of sounds formerly regarded as dissonant was the musical equivalent of abstract painting and sculpture. The 1920s, in the stunned aftermath of the First World War, saw a marked reaction against all that Romanticism had stood for. Enormous orchestras and vast musical works were shunned. Composers wrote for tiny ensembles and their operas and symphonies lasted just a few minutes. The hedonistic 20s gave way to the terrorised 30s and the descent into the Second World War meant that, yet again, music fragmented even further. Since the start of the 20th century, composers found themselves without a prevailing style into which they should, or even could, fit. The early 20th century saw several streams of musical expression open up, however, and by and large composers took what they wanted from each. One stream was that flowing from the ideas of Arnold Schoenberg whose development of serialism in the 1920s enabled some composers to find a means of expression completely removed from conventional harmony. Another stream came from the work of Igor Stravinsky. His music initially grew out of the Romantic tradition, but developed into a sort of musical version of Cubism. He eventually embraced neoclassicism, which bypassed Romanticism entirely and took inspiration from the classical and Baroque eras. Later still, he developed his own form of serialism. Finally, there was a stream which sought inspiration in ethnic musical cultures. Béla Bartók was a renowned expert in the folk music of Central Europe, and his music often uses this as a springboard for the creation of new works, while at the same time taking ideas from serialism and neoclassicism as the need arose. Many others followed his lead. In the later 20th century, the medium of electronic music was added to the arsenal of sounds available to composers. By the 1970s, conventional harmony had largely disappeared from mainstream classical music, just as realistic representation had become completely passé in painting. In some circles, music became mind-bogglingly complex, aggressive, and even violent, reflecting much of modern life, certainly, but in the process leaving many audiences, and many performers, behind. But tonality made an unexpected comeback, initially in the work of minimalist composers. Their work was reaction against the abstract and the cerebral, choosing to engage the listener by encouraging trance-like states in pieces based on simple repetition and slow development of ideas over long time spans. The late 20th and early 21st centuries have been marked by all these strands of composition, coupled with a willingness to reconnect with audiences and engage with popular culture. No longer can it be assumed that listening to a new work will almost certainly be a difficult experience, as it was not that long ago. 
Financial realities and the need for social cohesion have taught composers the connection matters, and it will be fascinating to see where this new reality takes us over the coming decades. Technical production for Classical Uncovered is by Duncan Yardley and I'm Graham Abbott. I hope you can join me for our next podcast, presented by the Melbourne Recital Centre.